This is Joseph Arangio from TacticalWorkout.com. Today I have a very special guest, Pat Mac McNamara. He's a tactical trainer, president of PMAX Incorporated, a one-stop shop for everything tactical. He's also a decorated military veteran with 22 years in special operations. Mac, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Joe. Pleasure's mine. Can you give the listeners a bit of a background as to how you got in this tactical world? Well, I, um, I did 22 years in the military, as, as you uh, mentioned, all of it special operations time. Very fortunate in my career. I started life out in the military, uh, in the Army, uh, as a uh, special forces baby, meaning I started the special forces course on my 19th birthday. So pretty rare. I uh, did four years in a vanilla or a, you know, a white special forces unit. From there, I had two Cold War jobs, one real cloak and dagger, you know, it was very high-speed stuff in a low-tech world where we were in placing basically networks for double agents in Eastern Europe, and then I had another job in Eastern Europe spying on the Soviet Army, once again, all Cold War stuff. Once the Cold War dried up, I uh, made the transition to um, work in uh, a, a SMU, a special missions unit in USASOC, and made uh, Delta Selection in 91 and finished out my career 13 years in, uh, in, uh, in uh, U.S. Army Delta Force. Once I retired, I, I, I discovered my niche in, 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 in life, and that's uh, to teach others to pass on a message and also understand that I've got vested interest. I want the military and law enforcement to be stronger and more effective because I need them to be stronger and more effective, you know, for my sake and for my kids' sake. So I have the ability to uh, to present a, a palatable message, you know, and, and I understand that the clarity by which something is defined will determine the effectiveness of its application. And I have a, a pretty valid and uh, useful training methodology that uh, – the military and law enforcement consume, they, they gobble it up. It, it's a, it's a performance-based training methodology versus outcome-based. So we train more like a professional athlete would versus toward outcome, some bullshit arbitrary standard, how many, how much, how fast. Uh, performance uh, works uh, how well, sort of like a, how, how a professional athlete trains. So I do that now nationwide and uh, probably about three or four courses a month nationwide. So if someone were to sign up for one of your courses, what can they expect? Well, they could expect not to be spoon-fed, number one. They could expect to harness the ability to, to self-coach and self, self-critique to basically train themselves, to learn how to be uh, introspective and exercise metacognition, you know, in other words, have the ability to, uh, to think about their own thinking. And also uh, they can expect a lot of high energy and intense courses of fire. When we're talking about tactical strength and conditioning, the, the physical training that law enforcement operators, military professionals are doing, whether they're deployed, whether they're at home, focusing on body weight only workouts, can you share some examples from your real world experience of the body work workouts that military operators, law enforcement pros are doing? Well, yeah, we've, we've come a long way in the past couple decades, you know, as far as working out goes and, and working body weight. You know, there's a lot of trendy 
type of uh, workout crazes out there, and 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 a lot of them are good because they're they introduce a lot of group dynamics, stuff like military athlete, CrossFit, you know. Ba- Granted, these are all outcome-based, but they incorporate a lot of good bodyweight type of exercises, you know, different style push-ups, handstand push-ups, sissy squats or just regular unweighted squats, pull-ups. All those things are really good, and, and, and uh, we're getting a lot smarter about how we work out versus, you know, days of yore when, when, when guys were extremely high impact and just damaging their bodies, making themselves a one-time use versus thinking, actually thinking about self-preservation and longevity. How important would you say it is to train in your, your gear, in your full kit, to prepare you for the demands of some operational load based on whether you're law enforcement or military? How important is it to train in your kit? Well, it's important to train in your kit, but I would – and this is a bold statement, I would say that it's not to test one's ability to carry a load versus making sure that that crap fits correctly and that you're not going to have a uh, yard sale behind you when you're running from point A to point B and jumping through a window because that's what I see in my courses. There's a lot of kinetics involved, a lot of uh, functional flexibility testing, and um, I'm seeing guys not comfortable in their kit because they've never trained in it. I'm seeing them not comfortable. I'm seeing them not being able to work efficiently from it, and I'm seeing kit uh, pieces of equipment drop out of it. So I would say very important, but not for the sake of learning how to carry a load. So you're saying really just to make sure that things are positioned properly and you're minimizing friction operational friction per se, but not necessarily because you need to to do uh, all of your body weight movements with 50 pounds of a weight vest. Is that kind of the, right. the, what you're getting to? Yeah, yeah. Right, I, right. Uh, I'm, there, there's an overuse and abuse axiom out there, this maxim. It's called train like you fight. You've probably heard about it. Anyway, yes, sir. Most people think most people think it means you know making sure that you're strapping on all of your 60 pounds of lightweight shit, you know, a bunch of freaking uh, Kevlar straps and and fast tech buckles. Has nothing to do with how much kit you put on. That axiom, train like you fight. <clears throat> train like you fight means you know uh, 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 seeing things full spectrum, exercising uh, focal cognition, making sure that you you finish the drill effectively. Uh, making sure that you train in adverse con- weather conditions and periods of limited visibility, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm an advocate of training with kid on, but once again, not because this is something we have to do to train like we fight or to, to, to feel the weight of the load, but making sure that it's, that we're going to work in it and from it efficiently, that everything is where it should be and that we're not going to drop anything, and, and without loss of mobility, too, because mobility equals survivability. So we cannot lose mobility in it. You know, we need to be able to move quickly with uh, good proprioception in, that, uh, in, our, in our full kit. You mentioned something really important, Mac. You said we don't want one-use operators. We want the operators to have a life after military, after law enforcement. Um, This is a good segue into my next question for you. There's a lot of landing or eccentric deceleration injuries in military and law enforcement, like, you know, jumping off of a truck bed, landing, twisting up your ankle, hurting your knee. This is very expensive for everybody. It's, It's costing everybody a lot of money. Do you have any thoughts 
from a training standpoint, how to decrease this type of injury? Well, I think if a guy is overall fit, number one, it's not going to affect him as much. So, you know, we've kind of got to put the, ho- uh, the, uh, the cart in front of the horse and make sure that the combat chassis of the individual is fit first. Because if you put a broke dick, you know, a, 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 um, somebody who's not fit in those positions where he's jumping through windows or jumping off the tailgate of the truck, it's going to hurt him a lot more than, uh, than a fit guy, you know, a guy who's got good sound core, and he's been working his legs out well, so he's got really good connective tissue. If a guy's broken to start with, that high impact training is going to break him a lot faster. Are there any things in particular that you're doing uh, with your students or with yourself to prepare your, your body for the demands of, let's say, landing? Yeah, I, I, am, I do very few uh, high-impact plyometrics. So, you know, heavy acceleration but deceleration, very, very uh, – I, I take the, the impact off of it. So very low impact as far as plyometrics go. It's real important, you know, once again, there, there, there comes a point where a guy has got to think self-preservation longevity and knock off all of the, um, the high-impact crap. I mean, the military and law enforcement training is going to incorporate some. It doesn't mean that we've got to get back in the gym and do box jumps where we're coming off of the box with the same force that we, that we accelerate. You know, we, we, a guy's got to get a lot smarter and put his ego aside and knock out the high-impact plyometrics, knock them off. Mm. Yeah, well, you're, you just absolutely nailed it. I mean, from a, from a tactical strength and conditioning standpoint, I always, it always boggled my mind, and without naming names, a lot of the popular fitness trends, there are certain things that you just wouldn't do. Of course, if you're in an emergency situation, you're in the field, you do whatever it takes to survive. However, when you're in the gym, when you're training, or you're in the field training, the concept of doing an explosive power movement for unlimited repetitions or till you just fall over, or until you surpass technical failure where you're no longer able to control your body, it doesn't right. make any sense. It's not supported in the literature. Way back when the, the East Germans and the Soviets really started getting into this concept of periodization or planning your results, they were never programming that way. And that's still right. the cult standard. So this concept of doing time box jumps not only is it dangerous, but you're just putting your body under unnecessary wear and tear. Also, the high rep Olympic movements don't really make sense if you understand the literature, if you understand the science, because they're not designed that, you know, to get techie, to get nerdy here, you know, that ATP, CP energy system, that really short duration, high intensity energy system, you've surpassed that after six, seven seconds. So to think that you're going to train that and you're just going to keep going and going and going, you obviously don't know the science. So um, I, I do find that we need to educate our, our tactical operators. To use the age-old analogy, you could certainly hammer a nail into a wall with a table saw, but you're better off using a hammer. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get more fit. I mean, some of these folks that are doing um, high, high-intensity Olympic movements, they're really fit if you're not broken. And I got that, uh, I got that quote from Kyle Lamb. He said, that, you know, a lot of folks that are doing high-intensity plyometrics, they're in really great shape if they're not broken. 
And right. um, it's, it's a good point. And, and I think um, it sounds like you're sharing that with your students, and that's fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, uh, you, you, you keyed on one of my uh, key training points, you know, speaking about the Olympic lifts or the, the you know, the, the, the uh, multiple reps, timed uh, reps of box jumps, you know, that's, that's all outcome-based training. And it's, and it's dangerous because the, uh, the exercise or the motion takes a back seat to the outcome, which is how many, how much, how fast. And I tell guys, hey, we can't put a time on um, on power cleans. You know, this is an exercise that needs to be done for the for the clean, not for the repetition. That is a really, really great way to teach it. That makes a lot of sense. How important is it to train in this adrenalized state? I know that's kind of a cliche word nowadays, but you know, this elevated heart rate, hundred let's say one hundred sixty five beats per minute and higher, just for for yeah. general discussion. How important is it to train this way to prepare for a hormonal dump, an adrenaline dump that happens when you're really stressed? All right. Well, I am a proponent of training to uh, metabolic threshold, you know, to really going all out and uh, just on this side of throwing up. Now, I think there is a difference, though, between an adrenalized state and fitness. However, one complements the other. The fitter you are... It, it, it's a, it's a confidence and confidence and uh, performance issue here. The fitter you are, the more confident you are, and confidence and performance work hand in hand. The the uh, the fittest guys are going to act better or react better or perform better in in an adrenalized state. I don't think that we can actually replicate the pressure of a a gunfight you know, or, or battle of any kind or a hand combat battle of any kind. Not with PT we can't. With, with, with a physical workout we cannot. I'm, I'm big into adding pressure, some kind of pressure to training, you know, whether it's uh, peer pressure or, or um, maybe um, incorporate the element of time so that the individual stresses himself out. Because that all, all those little snippets of pressure help to help one compartmentalize the pressure of, let's say, a battle or a gunfight. So you're saying you are stressing one of your students, one of your athletes metabolically, and then you're mm -hmm. adding a component of mental stress yep. to Absolutely. stimulate that, that natural um, adrenaline response. Yep, yep. Yeah, I've got uh, courses, for instance, courses of fire that require performance and shooting but the, but the individual is extremely stressed as well because uh, it's physically demanding. In addition, there's an element of time where ready, set, go, he's, he's, he's under time, and to add to that, other students are watching him. So for a guy, that's pretty powerful. I call that dudes looking at dudes, and a, and a, and a guy, is that's a lot of pressure for a guy, especially if he doesn't know the other guys, if they're brand new to him. So um, he's getting really good bang for the buck in, in, very, in, a, in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Mac, what are the most common mistakes military operators and law enforcement professionals make when working out? Uh, well, one of them, uh, if you can believe it or not, uh, are still working out in accordance with uh, muscle and fitness days of yore, you know, which in, and they're doing body part workouts, which is basically an anachronism, unless, of course, you want to be a professional bodybuilder. You know, so they're working muscles in isolation. And I can't believe with all the trendy 
type of stuff out there nowadays with all the revolutionary uh, workout methods that guys are still working body parts, still working muscles in isolation. We can be actually doing our muscles more harm than good when working them in isolation because our, our muscles are not designed to work in isolation. They're designed to work with one another in compound, you know, in conjunction with another group. So that's a big one right there. <clears throat> that's huge. Um, the, the other one, and, and we, we've talked about this, is guys are living in this sagittalistic type of environment where everything is in two planes of motion, frontal and sagittal. So they're not working on replicated type of combat movements. In other words, in the transverse plane of motion. Huge. That's a gigantic one. Guys do not work in transverse plane of motion, and they have to. I think more than 50% of their resistance type work should be in transverse plane of motion. So, you know, side to side or in rotation versus uh, front, uh, front and back. Another one is um, guys neglect what is distal. So fingers, uh, finger strength and, and neck. You know, the neck supports the command center. Guys have to work their neck, uh, especially guys in the military and law enforcement. You wear big Kevlar helmets. You find yourself flat on your ass. That helmet's going to uh, dictate the momentum, and uh, you're going to get freaking whiplash. Or if you take one on the jaw. If you've got a strong neck, you know, you could absorb some pretty good blows if it comes to fisticuffs. Uh, but most guys do not work their necks at all. So that's another one. Most guys don't work their fingers at all, finger and, and hand strength. You know, they work forearms so, uh, versus finger and hand strength. So there's three of them. I'd say another one is uh, – and, and a lot's going to be lost in translation here, but guys don't work proprioception. You know, the awareness of their feet under their body. Good, fast, uh, agile, balancing type of movements, they don't work that at all. You know, I have a series of workouts that I do at least once a week that work just uh, speed, quickness, and, um, and uh, proprioception. So there, another one is, um, uh, and this is mundane but necessary, Functional flexibility and functional balance. Yeah, like uh, I'm not talking, you know, working on a balancing beam, but but being able to maybe um, move yourself and your gear under or over an object with ease, and having total awareness of where your feet are below your body. So I don't know. I think I covered like five of them right there. Nowadays, there are very popular, high-intensity uh, training programs out there. Some of them available. Are there, some of them are available on DVD for use at home. Uh, some of them require you going into a facility and training in a group session, uh, doing interval-type training. Some of them require you to do very, very high repetitions uh, in a timed environment um, when you're. Uh, putting yourself up in competition with the, the guy next to you in the gym. What is your feeling regarding this high rep Olympic style lifting phenomenon that we're seeing right now? Well, uh, 
I belong to a gym where guys work out in group dynamic, and 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 I think it's great. You know, some of these trendy type of workouts have at least accomplished that. They've accomplished a a group dynamic atmosphere where people are working out together and they're getting something out of it. But the gym I go to, for example, that works in this group dynamic, um, the exercises and the movements are very very herky jerky. And they, they target, the workouts target a narrow demographic. So, for instance, not, not somebody my size. You know, if I were to do the workout as prescribed, it, it, it would probably, it would probably damage me. And if you're getting hurt when you're working out, you're a freaking idiot. You know, if, if you're ripping calluses off of your hands, for example, uh, you're an idiot because that's basically the antithesis of fitness. If you're not getting fitter, you're getting weaker. So uh, another another thing is um, a lot of these workouts or trendy type of uh, uh, work uh, exercise crazes encourage or incorporate Olympic lifts be done sequential and under time. Now the exercise becomes secondary to the outcome which the outcome states do this many reps in this amount of time. The exercise becomes secondary. So not only are we not accomplishing the exercise as it is intended to be done, but we are begging for attention. We are begging for injury because these are exercises. Take, for instance, a um, let's say a power clean and jerk or clean and jerk. This is not something that is designed. The intent was never to be for it to be done sequential, one after the other as fast as you can. You're just begging for attention, and, and we are going to get hurt doing it like that. So I'm not a fan at all when it comes to those type of uh, exercises and workout routines. I think it's great what some of these trendy type of workout programs do as far as group dynamic, but uh, buyer beware. You know, at some point you're going to get hurt, and there's a lot of people making a lot of money out there simply fixing broken people. And they're glad. They're extremely – my athletic trainer is very, very happy that these um, crazes are out there because it, it's making them rich. How important is programming, is following progression and overload in your tactical strength and conditioning program? All training, regardless of where we are, this is full training spectrum needs to be comprehensive, systematic, and progressive, all training. Right, comprehensive, systematic, and progressive. So we need to see, uh, and it, it's typically a byproduct. It's going to happen regardless, but we need to see that progression. We need to see progression in our training. It's very, very important. There, there's a huge problem with, um, with physical health in the military and law enforcement. I'm not talking like uh, tactical-level guys, ground pounders, special ops, um, SWAT operators. But the regular line folks tend not to uh, pay, pay that much uh, uh, attention to it. And the thing is, you know, they're, um, they're getting by because of their age. You know, they're, they're doing okay. They're like, well, yeah, I may be 40 pounds overweight, but I'm doing pretty good. Well, that's only going to... That's only going to help for so long. You know, you, you reach that, path, that point beyond 40, and you've hit a point of no return. And you, you can't get that back. Use it or lose it. Motion is lotion. So it, 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 if they don't do something before that 
point of no return, uh, they're on an extremely slippery slope where um, they run into a vicious cycle of events. You know, their obesity or their overweight has promoted injury, and now they get even heavier because they can't recover fast enough because they have no ability to uh, to become mobile, uh, to work out because of their injury and because they're overweight. So now it just um, snowballs into something that they cannot control. When you're in the military and law enforcement, you, you're, you're a component. You're, you're a part of a team. You're not a ninja. You're not operating by yourself. So if you've lost – Keep in mind also that mobility equals survivability. You're already wearing 60 pounds of lightweight shit. You add that 60 pounds of lightweight crap to your big gelatinous cottage cheese frame, and now you've completely lost mobility. And if you've lost mobility, you're not just screwing yourself. You're screwing the guys on your team because now you're, you're a total freaking uh, liability. You're a liability because they've got to move your stinking ass across or through obstacles or let's say you become injured and they've got to move you. I mean, it's it's not good for the rest of the guys. Folks, we've been speaking with Pat Mac McNamara. He's a tactical trainer. This guy trains badasses to be more badass. Mac, thank you so much for being with us. Joe, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 